Welcome to the Grattan Report podcast. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute and today we're discussing competitive pressure in the Australian economy. Competitive pressure plays an important role in a country's economic performance. It can help to keep prices in line with costs, ensure resources are allocated to their best use and push firms to come up with new and innovative ideas. In a country as remote and relatively small as Australia, competition is even more important, and in recent years there are many who've become concerned that competition is not working as it should and could in fact be declining. To answer the questions of Australia's competitive pressure, is it weak or even declining, does Australia have an unusual issue with market power, how much does it cost consumers and what can or should be done, I'm joined today by Grattan's Productivity Growth Program Director Jim Minifee, Senior Associate Cameron Chisholm and Associate Lucy Percival, who together co-authored Grattan's latest report. Welcome Jim, Cam, Lucy. Thanks Thanks, Megan. Firstly, let's talk about if there really is a problem with competitive pressure in Australia. Is, is it only a recent concern? Is it a problem that's localised in Australia? Well, those were some of the questions that we had in our minds when we started to do this work. And I, I think if you, if you zoom out, capitalism tends to produce large firms with significant market share in some sectors of the economy all the way around the world. But there has been a long-standing perception that Australia is the land of the oligopolies the four big banks, the two big supermarkets and what have you. And so in that sense, um, there's an Australia-specific concern that has been fairly deep and long-standing. But more recently around the world, particularly looking at the rise of the Facebooks and Googles and so forth that seem to have relatively strong positions in markets that in some sense those firms generated in the first instance, along with a somewhat broader rise in concentration, particularly in the US, there's a higher level of interest and concern about whether competition is still working as well as we'd like it to around the world and in Australia. And can you explain Australia's competitive environment a little? What What is it that shapes competition in Australia? So Australia is a remote economy and we always have paid a penalty for that by virtue of the fact that we're much further from markets for inputs and for outputs. And also our relatively small size means that um, Other things being equal, firms in sectors where there are economies of scale uh, would tend to be fewer in number than in really large economies. So those are some of the structural features that shape Australia specifically. But then there are more generic characteristics of markets, particularly around economies of scale, that operate here as they do elsewhere. So if larger firms have got lower production costs, then typically they're going to uh, gain share. And if that Uh, cost difference only kicks in when firms are big compared to the whole market, then you're going to end up with a small number of firms in that market. So that combined with uh, regulatory constraints, for example, of the type that are put on our financial sector and elsewhere, can also affect how competition works. And so generically in the report, we refer to those scale economies, uh, including where they're so intense that you've really got a natural monopoly only one firm providing the service, like in fixed line telecommunications, and regulatory barriers. Collectively, we refer to those things as uh, barriers to entry, which is sort of a generic term that um, that we use across the report. Mm-hmm. I spoke of market power in my introduction. Jim, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so this is the, the great vexed question of competition law and competition policy. A firm that has got some degree to change its prices without losing all of its customers, 
could be said to have market power, certainly very different from the classic perfectly competitive firm that pretty much just takes the price as given from the market. If they vary from that price, if they put their price up from that, they sort of lose all their business. And what that means is most firms have some degree of market power. And of course, the whole art and science of competition law is figuring out, well, what is your market and how much influence do you have over that? And that's going to affect things like whether you're allowed to buy another company or whether particular action you've taken might be construed to be a misuse of market power. So broadly, market power can be thought of as pricing power. But in the, if you like, in the heat of actually testing a given case, a lot of factors come into play like your market share, how close substitutes might be from the point of view of a consumer, possibly in an adjacent market, um, and factors that influence those things are whether you're exposed to trade, because you might be in a scale economy sector where there, uh, there's uh, relatively low trade barriers and therefore it doesn't really matter how many local providers they are, there are or what their market uh, share might be. So those types of factors are used by courts in assessing whether or not a firm has got market power. And Lucy, would you say that uh, the market power in Australia is stronger than it is in other countries? So to look at this, we uh, looked at levels of concentration in markets in large uh, sectors across a number of different countries. We looked at concentration because concentration gives us a sense of whether a firm will have market power. It's very hard for a firm where to have market power where there are many firms in the market. Uh, usually it's in concentrated markets with a small number of firms that they have market power. And so we looked at some of the biggest sectors in Australia, across banking, supermarkets, telecommunications, looking at mobile telecommunications and internet service providers, uh, in fuel, wholesale and retail, and insurance across a number of different insurance products. And we found that Across many high income economies, they were all highly concentrated. Sometimes Australia was more highly concentrated than in other countries. That was the case with supermarkets. We are more concentrated at the four firm market share in supermarkets than other countries, but still they tended to be quite high. We're high with four firms having more than uh, 50 or 60% of the market. Um, in banking, we found that it tended to be related to how big the economy was. So America looks very unconcentrated, um, but they are a very, very big market compared to Australia with about 15 times as many people in the country as Australia has. And um, when we looked at Australia's concentration relative to countries of a more similar population, in banking we were sort of similar at the three firm market share, which is what we had to compare. Um, in mobile telecommunications, it was pretty common for most countries to only have three or four um, networks to provide those. In Australia, we have three. Telstra does have quite a large share compared to other countries' primary provider. Uh, and that was consistent across most of the major, um, the, the largest sectors that we looked at. So is market power growing in Australia? We had a look at a number of sectors in Australia as to whether market power is increasing. And we looked at a couple of different measures. Uh, in Australia, uh, the largest firms that are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange tended to have a fairly steady share of revenue relative to GDP. It's not a perfect measure, uh, but it was indicative of whether they were growing relative to the size of the Australian economy. Are there more large firms that are taking more of your hard-earned dollars? And we didn't find that that was 
likely to be the case. It had been pretty steady for about the last 20 years. Also within the stock exchange, the largest firms, the top 20 firms, tended to have a fairly steady share of the overall revenue across the um, ASX. So there wasn't a handful of firms at the very top that were getting larger and larger and swallowing up smaller firms. Um, it, this can happen um, even in the case where there are mergers between large firms because the overall economy is growing. So even though they might be merging and being larger in their own sector, there's um, lots of other movement that goes on in the economy. We looked at a number of individual sectors and there are some sectors that have become somewhat more concentrated. Uh, the banks have become more concentrated over time due to a couple of large mergers, uh, but other sectors have become slightly less concentrated. The supermarkets have become slightly less concentrated over time with the growth of Aldi and the introduction of Costco and we find that there's likely to be a continuation of that trend as a couple of other supermarkets are looking to enter the Australian economy. And uh, in other industries we found that things had been relatively steady for a lot of them um, across insurance and fuel wholesale and retail. It had been relatively steady but possibly a slight decline in some of those. And Kem, I'd, I'd ask you, what is the effect of market power? Does it boost profits in Australia? Well, we found that there was very little research uh, out there looking at the link between profitability and market power. And so, so we set to um, look a bit more closely. And as Jim pointed out, we use this concept of barriers to entry in this report. And we looked at whether profits were higher in natural monopoly sectors, uh, sectors with significant economies to scale and sectors where there were quite high regulatory barriers. And we found that profits were about 20 to 30% higher in these sectors behind barriers to entry. But having said that, there was quite a high degree of variation uh, across sectors. So some sectors that had significant barriers to entry and were significantly uh, concentrated uh, would actually have very low profitability. Um, in fact, some sectors that had been extremely profitable in the past, such as newspaper publishing, which had long been dominated by News Corp and Fairfax, uh, have actually seen negative profits over the last few years. And so they're Not facing... surprisingly. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they're, they're facing quite significant competition from online publishing. Um, and interestingly... Um, the most profitable sector that we see in our in our data uh, is internet publishing, which has actually taken a lot of the advertising revenue away from uh, the traditional print media. Mm -hmm. And so even though sectors may go through a period in which they're highly profitable, uh, there's no guarantee that that will last forever. And so another thing we did is we looked at profits at the firm level to see how likely they were to persist over time. And we did find that there was quite high persistence. So firms that were earning a return on equity of above 30%, for example, um, if you looked at them 10 years later, their return on equity had gone down somewhat, but was still uh, around about 20%, which is much higher than the average, which is closer to 10%. So if you're a profitable firm today, chances are, you're going to stay profitable for a long period of time. Yeah. And we also looked at profitability 
of firms who were operating in sectors that had barriers to entry. And it was difficult to, to track that profitability over time. But what we did is we actually looked at how the market values those firms relative to firms that are not behind barriers to entry. And we found that the market valued those firms about 20% higher, even after you took into account the returns that they'd been earning in recent years. So that indicated to us that the market values firms operating in high barrier sectors higher than it does um, other firms. So realistically, what's the importance of competitive pressure? Does weak pressure cost the Australian consumer? Well, when we looked at that, like what is the impact of these high profits on prices? We actually found that in most sectors, the impact's very small. If you look across the entire non-traded economy, uh, our estimate is that um, competitive or a lack of competitive pressure increases prices by an average of 2%. Um, and that's not an economic cost because it's prices that um, people pay and, and someone profits from that. In some cases, uh, or in many cases, other Australians and you know through our superannuation and the like. Um, so at an economy-wide level, it's, it's difficult to say that there's a, a huge problem, but that doesn't mean that there aren't individual sectors in which consumers are paying far too much. And we found that in natural monopoly sectors, so in particular uh, electricity distribution, uh, things like airports and uh, pipeline transport, um, and to a lesser extent, um, wired telecommunications, that consumers were paying as much as 10 to 20% above what those industries would require just to compensate their shareholders. Wow. So wow. So there's certainly um, room to, for improvement. Um, but we found in, in sectors like supermarkets, you know, at worst, consumers are probably paying 3% more than they could if the market was more competitive. And likewise with banking, it was around about 4%. Um, and even then, that, that assumes that you can increase competitive pressure and get the prices down without increasing costs. And we know that many of these sectors have quite significant economies to scale. And so if you were to increase the competitive pressure by reducing the size of these firms, not that you could easily do that, you might actually increase costs as well. And so if, if these um, higher profits are driven by firms reducing their costs rather than increasing their prices, then it's difficult to argue that that's a huge problem for the Australian consumer. Mm. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It, it does sound like there's definitely room for improvement when it comes to Australia's competitive environment, though. Jim, I'd ask you, what can policymakers do to keep the pressure on, so to speak? Um, so as you'd know, the Harper competition policy review reported a couple of years back mm. and they had quite a comprehensive set of recommendations around law policy and institutions and the government's partway through implementing those obviously what we've covered in this report is not that full range we don't have a strong view about institutions we haven't looked at something that was a major focus of the of the harper review which is around introducing choice and competition into sectors of the economy which are currently predominantly driven by uh, state provision and where choice is sometimes more limited, areas like health and education. Um, uh, and, and I guess the, it's, it's also the case that many of the recommendations Harper made about competition law have already been picked up 
uh, by by government. And so the question is, well, what more remains to be done and how does our work shed light on what the priorities ought to be? And again, using these groupings of the natural monopoly sectors, the more highly regulated sectors and the scale economy sectors. And then I've got a couple of other points. Um, first, in the natural monopoly area, you're never going to get competition in those sectors by definition. Mm. So you're looking at... Mm what kind of regulation to impose and when to impose it. And when you go down the list of sectors that we saw that were earning relatively high profits, which in those arenas can be taken as an indicator potentially of consumers paying more than they need to, although it is worth noting that there can be a trade-off between the profit incentives, which is both to drive costs down and potentially to put up uh, put up prices that private providers of natural monopolies have, um, on, on the one hand, telling you that regulators ought to tolerate some degree of profit, uh, and on the other hand, wanting to get a good deal over time from consumers makes regulation for these sectors a bit tricky. But what we would observe is that electricity distribution and transmission is more expensive than it ought to be. A contribution of that excess cost is made by the super profits that are earned by firms in these sectors, although potentially a bigger part of the problem is that the network assets themselves are too large. Uh, you know, again, a response to the regulatory environment. Now, regulators can do more to wind those costs back, and also to put more pricing pressure on. Uh, similarly, in airports, which tends to be a sector that is subject to relatively light touch regulation, regulators effectively monitor the prices without doing, uh, without directly inter inter intervening. The um, relatively high profits that some airports earn suggests that it might be time for regulators to reconsider that hands-off approach. Mm. How they do that will need to be carefully designed um, and which airports they do it to or do they try to introduce it to all of them at once and so forth. There'd be a set of complex issues but probably an opportunity. Now we observed that there were very high uh, profits in fixed line telecommunications but of course the story in that area is being radically transformed by the move from uh, the copper network that was owned by Telstra and operated by Telstra for many years to the NBN. And there's a different set of competition issues there. Uh, people are beginning to say, and we didn't analyze this explicitly, that if NBN costs more than people expected, um, that the wrong answer is to try to get full cost recovery back through the revenues of that system. And so you might need to look to a write down in order to permit the prices to come down. Um, so those are some of the areas around natural monopoly. Turning to the regulated sectors, and, and we're talking about banking, health insurance, pharmacies and so forth, there's a mixture of issues that you can work on there. On the one hand, you want to remove regulations that are constraining competition. And, you know, there have been more than 10 reviews that have said that we've got a problem of that type in pharmacies. Pharmacists are, are limited from locating too close to one another, and you've got to be a qualified pharmacist to run a pharmacy and so forth. And these rules don't make much sense in the modern economy and should be removed. And that would increase competitive uh, pressure. In banking, the challenge is really to make sure that the really heavy burden of regulation is not just making it impossible for smaller firms to compete, whether as a full-fledged bank or as a financial services provider that does some of the services that full-fledged banks do. But getting those regulations down is not straightforward and there's obviously a, a process underway that the Productivity Commission is running to uh, to look at improving competition in financial services. And then in the broader scale economy sectors, that's where you'd start to look at, well, can I do more to sharpen up uh, the law 
beyond what was done in response to Harper by potentially in, in imposing bigger penalties, um, you know, making foreign executives subject to criminal um, proceedings for cartels and so forth. There's a range of things that competition lawyers talk about. And then in the individual sectors, like supermarkets, you want to make sure that zoning restrictions are not prohibiting the expansion of entrants like Aldi and Costco and so forth that are beginning to provide significant competitive pressure on the on the telcos. What sort of zoning issues? Well, so supermarkets have got a relatively large footprint mm. and um, if the operators of a shopping centre already feel that they've got enough supermarkets, then it can be difficult for you to provide effective competitive pressure. Mm. So looking around the edges for ways in which um, you might be able to locate more stores could could help in that area. And then zooming out from those three barrier sectors, we've also got some high-level observations in the report about what regulators can do to give consumers more effective choice. Um, there's a, a set of sectors where uh, many people find it difficult to compare products. Energy, energy, energy. energy. That's right. You see, you see that in retail energy, and you've covered that in previous uh, podcasts. And uh, obviously, we've we've also done some work on superannuation, which is another one where potentially you might look to a totally different model for particularly the default part of that supermarket, where you might have regulators choosing a subset of products that are known to be relatively high quality, rather than expecting consumers to make all of their choices. And then the final area that we looked at at a high level is that as technology changes, governments both have new technology uh, and competition. Sorry, let me start that again. Yep. The final area that we looked at is around what technology means for competition policy. On the one hand, there are new challenges that new technologies present, like what, do you, what should you do about the apparent relatively strong market power for some of the online platforms? And then there's a set of opportunities that uh, policymakers might have to use technology to intensify competitive pressure. So in the first category, there'd be things like making it easier for consumers to move their data. So I could take my social graph when I leave you know, social media platform A and I take it to social media platform B, or I might take my credit score in a more portable fashion from a bank and move it to another bank. And then around exploiting technology, potentially as the costs of providing services changes, maybe there are some products and services that governments could proactively put out into the market, like consumer ID, ID you know, valid, valid um, sort of verification of your identity in an online context, or there might be services at the moment are only offered to firms that could be offered more generally to consumers, whether there might be some you know, central banking functions or what have you. But we just flagged those in the report. To, to us, the bigger picture here is that what we've set out to show is whether there's a significant competition problem. And I think our high-level findings would be, while there are significant hotspots, the problem is perhaps not as big as we anticipated coming in at an overall economy-wide level. And then there are things that policymakers can do to intensify competition. So just tweaks to be made, really? Well, I think it's more than tweaks, mm. but it's an agenda that has got a lot of detail in each of these specific vertical areas. Mm. Um, and, you know, more detailed work is required to spell out exactly what policymakers need to do, for example, in retail, in, uh, in energy transmission and distribution or in getting good outcomes for the NBN mm. and so forth. Those are things that we only touched on at a high level. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jim, Cam and Lucy. Uh, this is obviously an issue that is very important to Australian consumers, so it's great to see some detailed analysis being done in this area. 
If you'd like to download a copy of the report, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. As always, you can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news, reports and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu.au. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.